Welcome to The Intuitive Customer, where we discuss how you can improve your customer experience and your bottom line by embracing behavioral economics. And now, here are your hosts, world-renowned thought leader on customer experience, Colin Shaw, and Professor Ryan Hamilton from Emory University. Lots of organizations have got this stuff written down. They put decent thought behind it. And yet it doesn't happen. It's such a small, subtle thing, but what are you doing in your day-to-day meetings? What are you doing in your day-to-day interactions among employees that emphasize whatever it is, the cultural change that you want to implement? Create customer experiences that are memorable and that create that connection. Moving from what's in it for us to a win-win, because when our customers are winning, so are we. Hi, everyone. Today we have Marilyn Suttler, who is a conference speaker with us today. Marilyn is a three times best-selling author and coach, and she helps leaders and teams make subtle shifts to create breakthrough success for customers. After working with Marilyn, a number of her clients have won industry awards and raised customer satisfaction scores and increased employee engagement. So Marilyn is absolutely the perfect guest to come along and talk to us today about how to create a great customer service culture and how to be a guardian of your customer service culture. Welcome, Marilyn. Thanks for having me, Colin. Great to have you. And and Ryan, um, it'd be nice if you had an introduction as good as Marilyn's. Perhaps that's something you could work on. I'm still young, Colin, you know. I'll I'll get there (laughs) at some point. Uh, Check back. Well, with a name like Professor Ryan Hamilton, that's pretty impressive right there. Thank you. And I'll record that, you saying that, and I'll bring it along with me anywhere I go. (laughs) He'll make us play that every time now that we have a podcast. Look what I started. (laughs) Well, Marilyn, we're thrilled to have you on to talk about culture. It's, it's a thing that when Colin and I talk about customer experience issues with people who try to implement this stuff, it's something that always comes up. Well, Marilyn, we're very happy to have you on to talk about customer culture. When Colin and I talk to folks about implementing anything related to customer experience, it seems like this is always an issue that comes up uh, is, you know, we can come up with these great ideas and these great programs that we're going to implement. But then there's always this culture problem of how we're going to fight against the massive tidal wave of not wanting to change. So why don't we start there? What are the big issues that you see in managing culture or just how do you define culture? How do you think about this? Where do you start? Especially when you think customer service culture. It's such an important piece. It's the standout piece that keeps you not having to compete, but be your own entity. And With employees scattered around the globe, we've got new people coming in, old people going out. And how do you keep a culture alive? It's not just words on a page. You know, it tends to be, you know, we have this mission, vision, and these values we have, and we've defined our customer culture, but a year later, it's gone. So there's a really strong need for leadership to be those guardians of the customer culture. And there's specific things that can be done. So it's not hopeless. (laughs) Sure. So, I mean, it's clearly a massive issue. And it's one of the biggest issues for me that stops organizations from moving to become much more customer centric. 
So how do you typically go about helping organizations do that? And what do you do? Well, I bring with me a two-year study of the best companies who just excelled at service. And I dived in deep and was able to interview them to see what their leadership teams did. That pulled together into a book. And for example, Singapore Airlines, who has been consistently voted top airlines in the world, Their culture is so strong. One of the things they say is arbitrary customer service gets you arbitrary results. So it really becomes a matter of defining. I come in and I look at, do you have standards and are your teams a part of creating those standards? And do you update those standards? Because things change constantly. And then there's all kinds of little pieces and parts to it, which we can talk about. And when we look at a company like uh, Singapore Airlines, you know, I know, and Ryan and I have talked about this on a number of occasions, but I guess my question goes to the normal question around ROI. Mm -hmm. How do you overcome the issue of going, you know, so here we have a transactional organization that, you know, they're, they're getting in X amount of money and then they want to aspire to be, uh, Singapore Airlines, and but they've got to go on this really difficult journey to change the culture of the organization. How do you go about justifying it's actually worthwhile? Oh, that ROI. You know, looking at the lifetime value of your customers. I think that it's very easy to dismiss, especially in the U.S., where it's like, oh, fire that customer. But if you really look at the value each customer that you currently have brings to your organization and you make customer service a leadership conversation, not just a department, that's where the change starts taking place because there is a definite link between that emotional connection customers feel for you and the dollars you're bringing in. So if you make that a leadership conversation and internal too, you know, we think customer service is all about the customer. It's really about the employees. What happens on the inside of a company will eventually show up on the outside. So if it's unhealthy, there's no trust, different departments aren't talking to each other, that communication is key. Yeah, no, and certainly one of the things that we talk about is the fact that if you're a transactional organization, if you're treating the customers, you know, as a transaction know that will play out in your customer experience we would actually call it inside out so in other words an organization tends to look at what's good for them rather than necessarily what's good for the customer does that make sense totally and it works inside too because if we see employees as simply revenue generators instead of people who want to grow and who want to spend you know they're they're such a significant part of their life working for you sure I think one of the biggest things we can do for customers is to walk through our company as if we were a new hire. And what would make us want to get up in the morning and come and work here? Sure. Creating that. And then also then moving from this is what we expect to this is why we expect it. The why is so huge in getting your teams and your employees to create customer experiences that are memorable and that create that connection. And you mentioned something so important about moving from what's in it for us to a win-win because when our customers are winning, so are we. So is there anything from that research, what were the headlines that came out of that research about the best practices of what these leading service organizations did? 
Well, number one is you want to acknowledge what works because too often we don't celebrate successes. And then communication is critical for achieving both personal and sales goals. So many leaders are conflict adverse. They see a problem and they know it has to be addressed, but it's just uncomfortable. So creating an expectation and accountability from a leadership perspective to hold each other and our teams to a standard. Right. And when you say a standard, what would that be? I mean, are you talking about, you know, replies within 24 hours or what? That's one standard. And let me say, this is a good thing you mentioned, 24 hours. I went into a global leadership team, spent six months with them, and we said we need to have everyone be responsive. Or This is what they told me. We are responsive to our customers. And so I asked, what does responsive mean? Just write it down. And then we're going to share it. And everybody had a different definition of what it meant to be responsive. One person might be respond within half a day, another person 24 hours, another person, the minute I get the answer, it could take two days, but that's when they'll hear from me. So even something as simple as email, when you receive an email from a customer to respond immediately, even if you don't have an answer, just to say, we got your email, we're working on it, you should hear something by X day. And they're all of a sudden they're going to go, oh, that's a relief. One of the ones that always drives me around the bend is if you subscribe to a website, you subscribe and, you know, you start receiving emails straight away from the website. Mm -hmm. If you unsubscribe to a website, then you get these messages back that tell you it's going to take you two weeks to unsubscribe to the website. And you think, why did it take me two weeks? If you can even find an unsubscribe, they make it so, so <laughs> difficult. <laughs> yeah. Those are the kind of things, those moments of irritation that leave a, a lasting negative impression of your company. We want to make it easy. We want to make it convenient and fast and pleasant in every area. You know, if you whether you call it mapping it out, customer journey, but when you look at each point of customer contact. I mean, can they go to your website and find your phone number or are they hunting and pecking and wasting their time? We actually call these, those types of things sort of subconscious clues um, that sort of inform you about how an organization really thinks of you. Ah. There's a difference between what people tell you and what actually happens in practice. So they may say they're customer centric, but are the actions customer centric. Can I give you an example of a positive subconscious clue? Yeah, absolutely. So I was working with one company who changed their outgoing voicemail to say, I am continuously checking my messages throughout the day and we'll be back with you. And something that simple is the subliminal messages. Oh, I'm not going to have to worry that they won't call me back. Oh, he's going to hear it soon. You know, Mm. rather than, oh, I left a message. I don't be lucky if they even call me back yeah a subliminal little message that says i'm going to be responsive you're going to hear from me so when you're setting those types of standards i guess the next part of the process is to then measure them and ensure that people are trained on them and making sure that those are enacted so uh, they're not just, again, something that sits on an office wall. Exactly. And often when I come into a company, they've already gone through the process, but it's that reinforcement piece that can be missing. And, you know, you spend 
all this money, all this time to set everything up, to create the, you know, you bring everybody together to get their input and their buy-in. And two years go by, many people have left, new people have come in, and all that hard work is gone. But it's so simple to reinforce on a continuous basis. And there's many, many ways to do it. I was recently over at Cooper Standard, which is an automotive company that I think they're a tier one. And the CEO brings into every single meeting this little three by four card that has their values, it has their standards, it has their vision. It's really nice. It kind of folds out and you can see on both sides there's people leaders and employees, what do they need to do at each of these points of contact? And what's really great is all decisions are made from that. And all feedback that comes in or team meetings revolve around that. Everybody must carry this with them into the meeting. So it's a simple thing, but then, you know, newsletters too is another opportunity to draw out and not just the words on the page, because we can all say, ah, oh, yeah, 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 that's our standard, but examples. Like when you can spotlight the driver who came in early to ship that part out and on their own time, and you can highlight that kind of thing, that makes a huge difference because people are seeing, wow, look at my team members, what they're doing. And that kind of lifts everybody up. So let me challenge this for a moment, if I may. Oh, sure. So back in the day, I used to work in corporate life for a large telecoms in the UK. Mm-hmm. And one of the values that they had, which was written down on a piece of paper that everybody used to carry around in their wallets and were trained on and everything else was, we put customers first. Okay? Mm-hmm. And they never did. <laughs> they, you know, It was the furthest thing from their mind most of the time. Yeah. Yes. So I guess that, you know, the killer is lots of organizations have got this stuff written down. They put decent thought behind it and yet it doesn't happen you know? mm-hmm. and i'm asking you out of desperation for a magic wand <laughs> so here's the magic wand okay are you ready okay, yeah. a simple question how did i how did i make the customer first this week how um, did i and that be part of an ongoing whether it's a daily huddle whether it's a weekly team meeting but that question how did i And being able to share that in front of their peers, because I think, I really do believe from my years of working with customer service, that you will learn more from your peers' examples than you will from anything else. If you ask, what would you never do? And what do you do to put the customer first this week? What did you do? They're going to hear that and it holds them to a standard. And one thing that is just universally true is that quality employees with a good, strong work ethic, they prefer to work with other talented people with strong work ethics. And what happens is that creates this spiral that takes you higher and higher. But the same is true. Weak people enjoy working with other weak people because it gives them a place to hide their lack of effort or inability or whatever it is. So if you make that question, how did I do that this week? That constant reinforcement that holds that standard high. And then when you're hiring, it's really great to have your high performers recommend people because they don't tend to want to recommend weak people. If they do, then you weed them out. But that's, you know, sure, it says put the customer first. How and why? Those are the questions. 
I know this is very true when you go to a drugstore and there's a person who's making minimum wage and you give them like these little extras. If it's a new customer, give them a bottle of water or whatever you want to. How do you make them? They have to understand what's in it for me to be that way for them and why is that important? And it's so funny. I was doing a, a keynote a while back and there was a young guy in the audience and I was talking about listening before you fix, like don't fix it, listen till they're done venting and they feel heard, then they'll be more likely to hear you. And I said, this works with your relationships too. At home, your your, your (laughs) kids. And it was about an hour after the keynote, this young man came over to me and he said, I just got off the phone with my wife and I did that. And she was like, so happy with me. <laughs> so <laughs> when you practice customer service, you enhance your love life. I don't know what to tell you, but <laughs> it yeah. does translate. Yeah. I, it really is people skills. Yeah, no, I agree with you. The, the trouble is, is my good lady wife, she says to me, don't you bring your management theories into our home. <laughs> well, Colin always pulls out this three-by-five card anytime they have dinner together. Yeah. Bring that to your family meeting. Let's get our three-by-five cards out. This is one of our household values. Yeah. <laughs> so, Marilyn, let me, let me ask you. The, you talk about the importance of standards, mm-hmm. and you also talk about the importance of building kind of a, a culture of trust and support. Those are clearly not in conflict. But mm-hmm. when handled poorly, they could be, right? Uh, standards could be used as a cudgel to kind of beat people into alignment. What advice do you give people in terms of setting uplifting standards or standards that build a culture of trust instead of, you know, standards that become a, a whip for management? Right. That's really important because without trust, everything is going to fall apart, right? And so right. this is where you set a standard, but a standard, I love this phrase. We have to realize that we made the rules so we can break the rules if it makes sense. Now, there's certain rules you can't break that are, you know, something that has to do with HIPAA standards or whatever your industry is, that those those standards are set. You can't break them. But something as simple as the way you make appointments or if you have a certain time, you can't add a customer into like a doctor's office. Somebody needs to come in, but there's no room. And, you know, can you juggle that around? It's important for both leadership and employees to be able to challenge the standard for the betterment of the situation. And this is where employees do not leave companies, they leave bosses. So Having your management team and your leadership team accountable to each other to hold them to that standard because, and to have that 360 kind of review to see how can I improve my own ability to lead? Because sometimes people are put into a management position because they're really good at what they do, but they didn't get the management skill set down yet. So that training and reinforcing what works. That can be tricky with older people if you're trying to change a culture this way, but you have people that have been spending the last 15 years doing it the old way and being kind of tyrants and breaking trust because they just want the way they want. Yeah, You need to reinforce with them, this is no longer the way it is. We're so pleased that you're listening to this episode of The Intuitive Customer. As a listener, we want to offer you a free download of Colin's ebook. Unlocking the Hidden Customer Experience. Take advantage of this free offer being made available only to listeners of this podcast. Do it now. Just go to beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast and follow the link for the free book. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast. 
I always remember I was at a uh, utility and I was running this program at a utility company. And we were sat around and we were talking about customer experience and I was presenting on it, et cetera, et cetera. And this one person who was a new, new young lady was basically saying, why don't we do this or why don't we do that? And all of the gray haired men were sat around going, ah, we tried that 10 years ago. Didn't work. Well, that's a good idea. However, you know, 20 years ago, we tried that and it didn't work. And I ended up stopping it and just saying, you need to realize, you know, what you're doing here, you know, the culture of the organization. And the best phrase for the definition I like about culture is it's the way things that are done around here. Mm-hmm. For me, culture is the way things are done around here. Uh, and they were just gradually, slowly beating all the goodness out of her uh, yeah. until she complied, you know? Right. And half the problem is just giving people the room so they don't have all of that beaten out of them and complying. And I guess that's part of senior management's job to to make sure that that doesn't happen. Well, and as you say that, I often will begin, a, when I do a, a long program, we'll start with a group of guidelines. And one of them, you said it yourself, that we've tried that, it didn't work. So I'll say, what are some phrases that we say that cut down possibility? Yeah. That will never work. We can never afford that. I don't think that, you know, any of those kind of phrases, I think I've got about seven of them. I'll have to look it up. Yeah. The one I like is you may want to, add, you may be on your list, but you may want to add this one is yes, but. Ah, exactly. Yes, yes, but. And then, so when it's, that won't work, ask yourself, if it could work, what might that look like? Yeah. You know, so having alternate thought, and you bring that up at the beginning of a meeting, we're in a creation mode, we're looking at taking this to the next level. Sure. Sometimes you have to try, I think Jack Canfield tried 144 publishers before someone bought Chicken Soup for the Soul. So sometimes you have to try it in different ways. The light bulb was, what, 90,000 times before it finally hit. So it takes bringing that to the leadership team and opening up. You cannot be creative when you're being bombarded with doubts and you know you could always sort it out after but during the brainstorming time you just throw it out there i mean look at how different customer service is today i mean we now have to be online we have to have a storefront we have to a storefront that you can buy it online and come and pick it up at the store i mean there's so many new options and it keeps changing and the way people want to be communicated with is changing, whether they want to be texted or I love it getting a text because I don't want a phone call. I don't want to have to listen to me getting a voicemail. It's very annoying. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. As a customer. It's changed dramatically. And uh, Mm -hmm. the interesting part, and this ties into a couple of the podcasts we did at the beginning of the year. The concerning part is that actually with all of the effort around customer service, there was a couple of indexes that showed Forrester and Nunwood, I think, um, did two pieces of research that showed that customer experience overall had not moved in the last two or three years. So despite all this effort, and I think that part of the issue for me is just this cultural issue. Everybody it goes, yes, improving the customer experience is the right thing to do. It's just they don't necessarily like doing it because it means them changing the way that they do business or in fact the way I say to waffle on here for a moment but the way I always explain it is it's not necessarily changing the things that you do but it's looking at them from a customer centric perspective so you don't change you know you don't stop business planning you don't stop designing processes you don't stop training people 
but you do all of those from a customer-centric perspective rather than an internally-centric perspective. Exactly. And that's just why feedback is so important. But it's interesting. I remember, you know, I was interviewing, well, back to Singapore Airlines. That's right. I've flown Singapore on a number of occasions, and I have to say they do a particularly good job. And you can see that it definitely about the culture of the organization. Yes, they spend more time on training and they continuously reinforce. And then that whole thing that about arbitrary service gets you arbitrary results. Everything yeah. is defined to a T so that if you come into the organization, you don't have guesswork. There's support, there's training. And, uh, you know, back to here in the U.S., it's 69% of employees are disengaged. So you have the disengagement, you have the old ways. So you get this enthusiastic, talented employee who's come in with some great ideas and they try to make it happen. And they, then you've got all this technology. That's another piece to it. Many times I go to association meetings and it's all about the customer services of technology conversation. Sure. And the more that becomes true, the more internet of things and more artificial intelligence, the higher the need for human communication skills to be strong. Sure. Yeah, no, absolutely. It really does come back to that. Having the emotional maturity, or the, if you want to call it emotional intelligence, to have the challenging conversations, to hold people accountable, hold management accountable, because yeah, that's where no, it really starts. Okay, so our usual question at uh, this point, what is it that people can do? So, you know, what are the practical steps that you think people can take? And let's go around the table. So, yeah, do you want to kick off, Mary? I will. So I would suggest making a customer irritation list. Like, what are the top five irritations your customers are experiencing right now? And, you know, to really look at it as how can we solve this problem? And right. having that ongoing implementation to sometimes it's as simple as you get to the end of the year, you're going to do your taxes. And it sure would be nice if I could just click on the website and find out how much did I spend on my cell phone bill for the year and I, so I don't have to add it up? So let's sure. just add that line with the added part, and that's going to take away an irritation. Sure. I mean, that's a simple one, but there's big ones. Ryan, what was your view? I mean, the research that's been done on culture change is kind of bleak. There are, there are examples of you know organizations that even have had massive employee turnover where they still can't change the culture. Even after almost everybody leaves and is replaced, culture doesn't change. So these concrete steps around kind of standards and examples, and I'm taken with the, the power of these small, subtle actions that reinforce culture. You know, Marilyn gave the example of something that happens in meetings. I've observed organizations where they wanted to create a culture of safety, for example. And yeah. so every meeting would start with a discussion about the safest way to exit this room and, you know, what do we do in the case of these various problems that could arise? Sure. So every single meeting, starting from, you know, the meetings of, of VPs with the CEO, would emphasize that culture. And it's such a small, subtle thing. Mm -hmm. But what are you doing in your day-to-day -day meetings? What are you doing in your day-to-day -day interactions among employees that emphasize whatever it is, the cultural change that you want to implement? Sure. Exactly. Yeah. No, absolutely. My perspective, I've, I've always liked the phrase, culture eats strategy for breakfast. <laughs> And therefore, you know, getting the culture, you can have the best strategy in the world, but it'll get eaten for breakfast.
things I would throw in. One I particularly like, um, Marilyn, your phrase about how did I? That's really good. And even if the CEO was to say, how did he or she, you know, turn around and go do this, you know, what have I done this week that was customer centric or whatever? And share that with their team because there's the accountability. Sometimes when you're even as a parent, we're a leader, but do we share that with the other parent? Well, this is what I... I could do better next time. Like, then we don't do that. Or this is what I learned, or this is what I did. No, absolutely. I'm happy to say, here's what you did wrong and could do better next time. I think that's it's easier to do I that, right? Ryan, you're not talking to me again, are you, mate? No, um, I've been sleeping on the couch for a while. I don't, oh, man. I'm sure it's unrelated. Well, I think I mentioned listening at, at one point, but being a listening culture where yeah. you mm. listen to your customer facing employees can give you a perspective that you might not have. So I came into a company specifically one time to listen to small groups of employees and I was supposed to help them buy into a new culture. But I said, well, how about if I ask them what they see as the problems and then what kind of solutions do they have in mind? They were real big on the problems, but as soon as I asked them for solutions, it got real quiet. And there was this little incentive and they came up with so many good ones. And then when we finished the customer service model at the end of the year, they were living it because they were part of it. They got to see their ideas implemented, and that was huge. That's great. And by the sounds of it, it's um, the time that we should finish the podcast because the alarm's just gone off. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, Marilyn, thanks very much for joining us um, uh, today. It's been really good. Ryan and I have talked a lot about culture, and it's uh, really great to have somebody that's an expert to come on and, and talk to us about it. If people want to get hold of you, Marilyn, how do they best do that? Well, they can reach me on my website at marilynsubtle.com or on Facebook at Subtle Shift. Wonderful. Great. So, Marilyn, thanks very much for coming on today. That's been really illuminating and uh, really helped people, I believe. Uh, It was my pleasure. Great talking with you and Ryan. Thank you. Great. Thanks very much. And look forward to talking to everybody next week. Cheers. This has been The Intuitive Customer with Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton. But it doesn't end here. Just go to beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast to find all of our shows, access free tools and resources, and subscribe, won't you? That way you'll never miss a show. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast. And we'll talk with you next time on The Intuitive Customer.